Amen, amen. Just want to thank you guys for, uh, for bearing with us. Music team, thank y'all for the spirit of the moment. Last, last song, uh, our online people. Can y'all hear me? Am I loud? Am I good? All right, I need y'all to tell, y'all tell us. Um, we don't want to lose the, the people who are watching live. There was a handful of people watching live and our hotspot decided it didn't want to be hot. And so it stopped. And so spur of the moment, we was like, hey, get it. And they got it. You know, God is good, right? That's, 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 that's what we do. Let's beg God's presence up in here. Father, this morning we don't want to do anything else other than lift the name of Jesus. We don't want to be remembered for anything. We don't want to be made famous by anybody. We don't want to get in the way of whatever it is you may have for us this morning. We're prone to swerve away from the direction you want us to go in because we often think we know better than you. I'm guilty. We are guilty. Sometimes, Lord, we don't even take the time to know what direction you want us to go into. We just move apart from you, do apart from you, act apart from you, breathe apart from you. But there's nothing we can do apart from you that will have any lasting impact. Everything will burn away like stubble. All our effort, all our works for naught if we don't do it in, through, and for you. And so, Lord, this morning, Lower our walls, lower our egos, lower our desire to be anything other than a servant of you. Fix all of our plans this morning. Fix this message, fix our online, fix our hearts, fix these songs. And when I say fix, Lord, I simply mean do what you want to do. We had a plan. But at the end of the day, we yield to whatever you want to do. And what you want to do is right, and it is good. And so, Lord, in a sense, though we may want something to go one way, you fix it to go in the way you want it to go, in a way that you will receive most glory. Help us to receive your divine hand on us this morning. Don't let us go, Lord. Would you fill me with the Spirit of God? Would you fill our, our people watching online and our people here in person with the Spirit of God? And would we be able to enjoy your presence this morning? Would you be with these kids as they do whatever they're going to do? Would you fill them with the Spirit? Would something said, something read convict them and draw them unto repentance and faith. You can work through any divine word, Lord. And you're able to give ears to men, women, and children. And so we ask that you would do that. 
Let me give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Good morning, uh, fam- Pillar family. My name is Kanan Parker. Uh, so glad that we are here this morning, get to worship God's word. Go ahead and open up in your book of the Bible, in your copy of God's word to the book of Malachi. We're going to continue our series in the book of Malachi called True Worship. That's the name of the series because that is exactly what God desires of us. He desires us to worship him in spirit and in truth. And what I love about our current situation, being in this warehouse, in the cold, with heaters trying to reach desperately down to us, is that none of you are here for the amenities. None of you are here because of what you can, quote unquote, get from the church. You're here to receive from Jesus this morning. And so I pray that that posture is genuine, not just in your physical presence, but that your heart posture is there this morning. That God somehow, some way would speak to you. Despite the cold, you would feel warmth. Despite the sounds, you would hear clearly. God desires us to worship him in spirit and truth. And what's hard about that is that all of us are in a different space right now as it pertains to God. Some of you are in a really good space with God. You're hearing from him. You're you're enjoying his presence. You're communing with the God of heaven and earth. Some of you this morning are stale. You haven't heard from God lately. You haven't felt his presence. When you pray, it feels like your ceilings, tell me, be honest, it feels like your, your prayers hit that ceiling and fall back down. Feel like you're speaking to the air. That's some of y'all right now. Like there's nobody listening. And so you stop talking. Some of y'all here this morning are angry at God. God didn't do what you needed him to do. He didn't come through in the clutch. He didn't give you what you were seeking from him. And so now you're frustrated. You're angry with God. And some of you are just looking for something. You're desperately grasping and groping in the darkness, hoping to find the thing that's going to be that cure-all, that solve-all, that thing that's going to fulfill your soul. And so you say, why not try church? Why not try Jesus? This morning, God is going to call each and every one of you in in any stage that you may be in. He's going to call you to something, and he's calling you to worship him in spirit and in truth. Your life is a result. Your life is the symptoms. Everything in your life is symptomatic of your relationship with God. Everything you do is a result, whether you acknowledge it or subliminal, it's a result of what you believe about God. If you believe God is good, for some reason you tend to be optimistic about the hardships of life. You get that diagnosis, but you're like, God is good. But you got three to six months left. You're optimistic when you're fighting, you're fighting for justice and, and equality in this world against racial bias and against cultural uh, uh, beef and strife. And you're like, yo, God's going to see us through, though, because you believe God is good. Some of you, if you believe God is distant, you have a different disposition in life, whether you recognize it or not. Your disposition in life is God helps those who help themselves. So I best grind. I best get it in. It's on me to get and to satisfy and to fulfill. 
Your life is symptomatic of your relationship with God. For those who think that God doesn't care about them, how do they tend to respond? Reckless. They're not afraid of hurting themselves or hurting other people. That was me. That's some, that was some of y'all. Your life is symptomatic. It's the result of your relationship with God. And God is calling you to forsake any facade you may have and to listen closely to the word of God. This is where we find the people of Judah in our passage in Malachi. Their relationship with God is about to manifest itself in particular symptoms that we're going to see this morning. In particular, there are two symptoms that God is going to expose within the people of Judah, otherwise known as the people of Israel. Israel is angry with God because they've been in captivity under King Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon for 70 years. And now they've returned back home. And for a short time, they're like, yo, God is good. I'm back home. Everything's copacetic. We're going to rebuild. It's going to be great. But in a very short time, because their relationship with God has begun to deteriorate, they begin to get bitter with God. God tells them that he loves them. And they're like, nah, you don't love us. You let us go into captivity for 70 years. That's some of y'all. Some of y'all have experienced the death of a loved one or something tragic has happened to you. And when God says he loves you, you fire back with, nah, God, you don't love me because if you love me, you would have X, Y, Z. Right? Don't tell me it ain't just, it ain't just me. And God's like, no, man, it, the, the, you, you going into to Babylon is a result of your own sin. In fact, you're misunderstanding my love because I display my love through mercy. And I didn't destroy you, though you deserved it. You see, what they conveniently forgot is that they are idolaters at heart. They conveniently forgot that the reason why they were in Babylon in the first place is because they refused to worship God and God alone. And God, instead of laying the hammer down and mashing on them, disciplines them. You ever discipline your child? You ever spank a child? And in the moment, what is it? They hate you, right? They're like, you don't love me. But that's the very means by which you're displaying your love because you're protecting your child from something greater. Judah has a, a similar perspective. God, you don't love me. And God's like, yeah, my mercy is a display of my love. As Judah is living, they begin to give God lame animals for sacrifice y'all remember y'all i don't know if you remember but in the old testament the way they, that god prescribed he wanted he wanted his worship is that they would slit the throat of an animal and they would take the blood of the animal and sometimes they sprinkle it on the altar or upon the people and he wanted sacrifices perfect sacrifices he didn't want any spot or any blemish on these animals that he was going to uh, receive as worship from the people of israel but because they had a deteriorated relationship with God, they started to give God the leftovers from the marketplace that they couldn't sell. See, people walk up to the marketplace. They don't want a three-legged animal. They wanted a four-legged animal. So they would leave the three-legged animal. And as the owner of the marketplace, I say, well, I might as well go ahead and give this trash to God. You know, it's funny, though we don't sacrifice three-legged animals anymore, we still give trash to God. I call it spare time worship here in the 21st century. You know that time you give to God between Netflix and bed? That, that, that garbage minutes at the end of the day? Let me give God a little five minutes in the morning real quick just so I can say I did my thing. 
but we don't give God the best. We don't give him the prime. We don't give, and know what that is? That's indicative of what your relationship with him looks like. You don't give your loved ones trash, but why is it okay that we give God that? You see, when we have people over our house, we sit down, we host, we spend time with them, we're intimate with them, we're sharing stories, we're laughing, but when it's with God, it's like, I'm gonna give him this 35 seconds and I'm done. It's like, it's like giving your guests the end loaves of, bre- of the bread. Don't nobody want that trash. People want intentionality from you. How much more the God of heaven and earth? Know what God calls that worship? Look at Malachi chapter 2, verse 3. He says, look, I'm going to rebuke you, your, your, your descendants, and I will spread the animal waste, the animal waste over your faces, the waste from your festival sacrifices. What's God calling this, this worship? Animal waste, feces. We have another modern word for it, right? He doesn't want that trash from you. He says you can keep it. I give you breath and life and you give me that? It was symptomatic of their deteriorating relationship with God. They were giving God sick and lame animals and they were committing something called the sin of omission. And we talked about what the sin of omission was last week. And again, I'll define it a little bit later on. But what happened is they started to deal treacherously with one another. The people of Israel didn't just give God trash. They started giving each other trash and treating each other like trash. And there are two primary ways in which they started to to show that. One is that they began to marry those who are not believers in their faith. And the second one is they started to divorce the wives of their youth. We're going to look at both of those this morning. We're not going to look at them exhaustively. exhaustively. We're going to look at them as far as the passage needs us to see them. So look in your Bible, Malachi chapter 2, verse 11. It says, Judah has acted treacherously and, detest- and a detestable act has been done in, in Israel and in Jerusalem. Stop there. Those words are harsh. Look at the words again. He says, Judah has acted treacherously and and a detestable act has been done in Israel and Jerusalem. Whatever God is about to say, it's about to be something really bad in his sight. He hates. He hates what he sees. This is treacherous what he sees. It's detestable what he sees. What's he going to say? What's it going to be? Continue verse 11. It says, for Judah profaned the Lord's sanctuary, which he loves, and has married the daughter of a foreign god. Stop there. You guys ever watch the Cosby show? So in the Cosby show, there's t- uh, several episodes where Heathcliff Huxtable, my man, has something broken in his house. And if you know the show, Heathcliff goes to the basement, puts on a belt. Clack, clack. And he, oh, your eye, bro? He puts on the belt. And he goes up, and what's Claire doing? Baby, don't do it. Just call, just call somebody. Call somebody. And what's he say? Baby, I got this. Snap. I got this. And he goes, and he starts to work in. In the one episode where the, there was a leak in the wall, and he starts hitting and, and moving and banging holes. Before you know it, there's water spraying everywhere. And he's downstairs, and he's like, all right, babe, I think we, I think we might go ahead and call some, somebody. 
come take care of this, right? What, what, what happened to, oh, oh, when he's trying to fix a, an appliance, what happens? What, what's happening? He's getting in too deep, right? He's, he's in over his head. He's not as qualified nor prepared to deal with the issue in front of him as he thinks he is. He got in too deep. Well, the same thing is, the same thing is happening to the people of Judah when they marry daughters of a foreign god. They got in too deep. You see, they think they can handle a level of stress, but they can't. You think they can handle a level of life situation, but they can't. They can't handle it. God knows that our hearts are prone to wander. You see that in your cross-reference sheet. 1 Peter 2, 25 and Isaiah 53, 6. God knows that our hearts are prone to wander, that we're, we're, we're strayers from him. And God doesn't just dislike it. He hates when we go and marry some, uh, when we... um. Uh, marry the daughter of a foreign god. Look what he says in verse 12. If you think the word hate is too strong, listen to how deep God gets in verse 12. Just, just let him speak. He says, may the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob, the man who does this. Whoever he may be, even if he presents an offering to the Lord of armies. Y'all see that? God's heated. He's like, I don't care who this brother is. I don't care who he is. Cut him off if he does this. Cut him off if he does this. It makes sense why. You ever heard the phrase, a little leaven leavens the whole lump? See, there's an issue going on. There's a, a problem going on. If God desires to be close to his people, then, it's, then it makes sense that he hates anything that will pull you away from him. And that's what God is afraid of. He's afraid that and he knows that if, 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 if the people of Israel marry the daughters of another God, that eventually their heart is going to stray from God. You see, when you drop a white glove in mud, does the mud get glovey or does glove get, get muddy? He knows you. He knows your heart. And what's tragic is that most of us think that we're strong enough to endure that weight. We think we're able. Now, I'm going to be good. I'm going to be different. I got it. Yeah, I know what he say. I know what he said. But I got this, though. You don't got this, bro. Sis, you ain't got this. Look at Deuteronomy in your cross-reference sheet. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 3 and 4. This is Moses speaking. He says, you must not intermarry with them. You must not give your daughters to their sons to take your daughters for sons. Why? Verse four. Here's why. Here's his, his reason. Because they will turn the sons away from me to worship other gods. God wants all of you, capital A-L-L, -L, which means that if you can't give all to God together, then you're giving a piece to someone else, and it's the piece that God desires of you. I'll explain more of that later. Look at Nehemiah, curse cross reference sheet. Nehemiah 13. It says, in those days, I will also, uh, in those days, I also saw Jews who had married women of Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab. Verse 24. Look what happened in verse 24. This is amazing what assimilation can do. Half of their children spoke the language of Ashdod or the language of other peoples, but they couldn't speak Hebrew. Right? So within one generation, they already forgot their culture. 
by doing this. But then it continues, verse 25. Nehemiah is a thug, just so y'all know. Look what he says. I rebuked them, cursed them, beat some of their men, pulled out their hair. Yo, Nehemiah, y'all read the book of Nehemiah? Nehemiah is hardcore. He says, I forced them to take an oath before God. What did he say? Same words as Moses. You must not give your daughters in marriage to the sons, uh, to their sons, or take daughters as wives for sons for yourselves. Verse 26. Here's his illustration. Here's his, his example. Didn't King Solomon of Israel sin in matters like this? There was not a king like him among the nations. He was loved by God, and God made him king over Israel, yet Foreign women drew him into sin. Why should we hear about you doing all this terrible evil, acting unfaithfully against our God by marrying a foreign woman? Even Solomon, in all of his wisdom, power, and money, was not able to resist the temptation of straying away from his God because he intermarried with the daughters of foreign gods. If Solomon ain't got the, ain't got the, 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 the strength to hold firm, Don't think that you do. You don't. We see a similar thing in Exodus 34 and in Ezra chapter 9. Remember the covenant that Israel made with God? That that they would be his people and that he would be their God? Well, marrying outside the faith threatens and causes many to commit the sin of omission. Remember Remember what the sin of omission is? This is the sin of omission. The act of reneging on what you said you would do. Not as a result of inability, not as a result of an emergency, a lapse of thinking or scheduling conflict. The sin of omission is reneging on a promise because you have a greater love and desire than uh, that you would rather fulfill. And so if God tells Israel, his people, not to marry the sons and daughters of other gods, yet they go and marry the son or a daughter of another god, they have already begun to deteriorate their relationship with God and their heart is already straying from him in one act of disobedience. That's not even talking about what happens later. That's not even talking about as things go on. Pillar, hear me. I'm going to warn you like God warns you. Don't marry someone outside the faith. You can't handle it. Marriage is hard enough as it is. Two sinners get together under one roof. Bro, it's hard. Then you get two different gods vying for the worship of these people. Whether it's the God of self, the God of comfort, whatever it is, it ain't Jesus for everybody in the house. And so when you stray and you beef, it's all you're already going to stray in beef. You don't need that smoke. See, everything is cute in the dating stage. Everything is, oh, he loves me. I love her. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) It's so cute. Wait till some consequence happens. Smoke city. Problems are going to occur. And you're going to find yourself in your heart straying from God. Some of us, even among our own number, have already uh, married individuals who don't have the same faith as they have, and they can attest to you about the hardness of having a house of worship in faith. Because there is someone of large stature in that house who doesn't love the Lord. Your heart's already going to stray. It's hard to raise these children in the admonition of the Lord when it's one parent doing all the grind, all the work, all the pointing. 
And eventually you will get tired. And eventually you'll stop worshiping the Lord God. You'll do everything to satisfy your spouse. And eventually you've turned your back on the Lord God. And now you find yourself worshiping whatever it is that individual is worshiping. It happened then. It happens now. Guys, I'm not here to be your friend. I'm here to tell you what the text says. And the text says don't do it. Just don't do it. Spare yourselves the smoke. Don't listen to me. Listen to Paul in 2 Corinthians 6. It's in your cross-reference sheet. He says, man, don't be yoked together with those who, who don't believe. What partnership is there between righteousness and lawlessness? What fellowship is there with light and darkness? What agreement does Christ have with Belial? Or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? And what agreement does the temple of God have with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will dwell and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. Now, if you've already found yourself, whether you're listening online or you're here, and you find yourself in a position where you're already married to a spouse who doesn't believe, what do you do? The scriptures will tell you to stay. Stay in that marriage. Pray and fight like a dog fast and give your soul, praying and begging God to redeem your spouse. 1 Corinthians 7.13, that should be in your cross-reference sheet too. But you know what we do? We disobey him. We disobey him, and then we ask God to bless our disobedience. You ever realize that? Like, have you ever asked God to bless you financially, but then you cheat on your taxes? You ever do that? Anybody? Don't raise your hand. You ever, ha- you ever ask God to help you get a job, but you lie on your resume? Mm-hmm. You ever ask God to, to protect you in the midst of you committing a crime? You ever ask God to bless that greasy, nasty food you're about to put in your mouth? We backwards. But it's funny. We fall in love with someone who doesn't hold de- Jesus as dear and, and sacred. And we know what the scriptures say and what God desires but we disregard it. But then we go to the altar and we say, God, would you please bless this? I, I, just, I, I just want this guy to crack and be like, um, why should I? In and of itself, it's already, I already told you don't do this. Why would I? Kids do this all the time. They just, they did, well, don't, you can't have chips, but can you open the bag? No, I can't. Guys, I know if you're single or not married, it's single to me. You're single and you're not, and you're, you're in that position where you are in, you're intimately involved already with somebody who does not believe. Have a serious conversation with that individual and, and, and really evaluate the realities of your own heart. The reality that it's hard enough for you to stay close to Jesus as it is. And then I want y'all to make the hard decision. I want you to make the hard decision to say we have to hold off on anything deeper than what we already are because my heart needs to be first and foremost captured by the love of Christ. And if, if my spouse can't help me with this, then 
that, I, that can't be my spouse. It's hard. I don't want to tell you that. You know what I want to tell you? Part of me is like, yo, just go ahead and do it. It's going to be all right. But the scriptures tell you it ain't going to be all right. So I can't lie to you. You're going to have trouble. It's going to be problems. And you know it's going to, at the end of the day, you will stray. Don't believe the, the once in a blue moon missionary dating situation. This is what the people of Judah were doing. Look at Malachi 2.13. It says, God says, this is another thing you do. You're covering the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning because he no longer respects your offering and receives them gladly from your hands. What did they expect? The heart posture was that of disobeying what God has said. Yet they go to the altar and they're weeping and they're crying and they're moaning and they're groaning. God, please bless. And God is like, bro, why, what, what, is, what kind of hypocritical stuff is this? You know what God wants from you? God just wants faithful love from you. God doesn't want you moaning and groaning and weeping on the altar. God just wants faithful love from you. Look at your cross-reference sheet. Hosea chapter 6, verse 4 and 6. This describes Ephraim and Judah, and it describes us as Christians today. Look what it says. It says, what am I going to do with you, Ephraim? What am I going to do with you, Judah? Your love is like the morning mist, like the early dew that vanishes. For I desire faithful love, not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. God just wants faithful love from you. God just wants faithful love from you. But, but I don't know about you, but I'll tell you this. I am not always faithful to God. I am often unfaithful to God. And I praise God that it's not the end of the story, because in 2 Timothy 2.13, it says, if we are faithless, he remains faithful. What is he faithful to? He's faithful to his covenant, to his people. And remember the differences in the covenants. The covenant with Moses' people was bilateral, which means both people had to uphold the standards of the covenant. But this covenant with Christ is unilateral, which means Jesus already upheld it, which means even when I'm faithless, God will continue to hold up his faithfulness to me because I'm in Christ and Christ is righteous. And so I am righteous by imputation of what Jesus has done. I'm good. But my heart has been changed. I don't want to be faithless. But I'm a human. Y'all, Pastor K. Pastor K be slipping, y'all. And if I'm slipping, I know y'all slipping too. But remember the promises of God that when we are faithless, he is not. That in and of itself should drive you back to faith. Drive you to repentance. Jesus' love is not the temporal type where if you mess up, he casts you away. That's not Jesus. He, Jesus don't do that cancel culture. If you in him, you in him. Period. Jesus' faithful love for you is not taken away because you fell into sin. It doesn't come to you based on the amount of weeping and groaning you do. It's not a result of perfect worship. Remember, God is not calling you to perfect worship. He's calling you to true and genuine worship. Jesus' love is of the eternal sort. 
it endures your sinful acts of idolatry. We learn a lot from Jesus' love, even in marriage. Because when your spouse does something to you, that ought not cancel your love for your spouse. And it ought to give you the strength to endure your love for your spouse. Quickly for a moment, I have a, a thing in here. Quickly for a moment, I just want you to think. Think about all the times that you personally, and I actually want you to do this. This isn't like a sermony thing. Like, really do this for a second. Think about all the sin that you committed in the last 24 hours and how God demands, his standard is perfection and how short you fall of it. Y'all remember that thing you put on the screen last night that you were watching? You remember that that hateful thought you had against a brother or sister? Think about it for real. Don't, Don't just, you know, really, really think about it. Like, The word of God wants to do work in your soul. What's your last 24 like? Sinless 24 or a broken 24? My joint's broken in a mug. You got a broken 24 or sinless 24? 48. What's it been like the last 48 hours? Maybe you didn't commit an overt sin, but have you given given anything unto the Lord Almighty? Have you even spent an iota of time with the one who gives you breath? And because you, you sinned, God's righteous position is to judge your sin, but he doesn't judge your sin. He judges his son on the cross. And all you have to do is trust, believe, place your faith in, in, in him. And what he does is he grabs hold of you and he holds you close to his chest and he loves you and he cultivates a relationship between you and him so that when you sin, you hate it because what you see is the lashing upon Christ's back. Why isn't that enough to drive you to repentance? Why isn't that enough to, to, to bring you back to your knees like, yo, God, you gonna love the kid like that? Yeah, I got you like that, bro. That's cause for worship. That's cause for praise. God hates unfaithfulness, but I praise God that he is faithful. He's not just calling out Judah for marrying the daughters of foreign gods. He's also calling them out for being unfaithful in divorcing their wives. Look at Malachi chapter 2, verse 13 and 14. Verse 13 says, this is another thing you do. You're covering the altar with tears and weeping and groaning because he no longer respects your offering or receives gladly from your hands. Look at verse 14. And you ask, why? Right? Why aren't you receiving my worship, my, my moaning, my groaning, my, my weeping, my tears? Why? Because even though the Lord has been a witness between you and the wife of your youth, you have acted treacherously against her. She was your marriage partner and your wife by covenant. Remember last week I explained the significance of a covenant, how it's deeper than a handshake. It's more consequential than a covenant by law because these are covenants made by blood. These are significant commitments and promises one made to another and they were committing the sin of omission by reneging on the covenant they made with their wife because they had a greater love in mind 
Rather than be faithful to the wife of their youth, they profane the covenant of their youth. You see, when you marry somebody, you're not just committing to that person. Remember that the commitment, the, the vows that you make are attested to by what? Who stands around you? What are they called? Witnesses. Who's the chief witness at any wedding? God is the chief witness. And he holds you to the standard by which you committed to through the confession of your vows. And so he says, you're not just dealing treacherously with your wife. I'm calling you to the carpet as a witness that you said you would be faithful to her, but you have not been faithful to her. You know what's crazy? I found this in the text. I've read it before, but when I read it this time, it hit different. Your, your, spirit, your, your, your prayerful relationship with God is impacted by the, by the way you treat your spouse. Like, I didn't just make that up to be all spiritual. First Peter 3, 7 says that. It's in your cross-reference sheet. It indicates how one deals and honors their wife, their families by extension, has a direct impact on the effectiveness of their prayers. It says the same thing in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 11 through 17, that their prayers are hindered. Something's wrong with your relationship because of how you're dealing with your spouse. They're weeping, they're groaning. God's not even, is, is he hearing it? Something's wrong because of how they're dealing with their spouse. And that's why he's bringing it up. Don't expect God to bless what you profane. Look at Malachi 2.15. It says, didn't God make them one and give them, uh, give them a portion of spirit? What is the one seeking? Godly offspring. This is, should, should bring your mind back to the book of Genesis in the very beginning of the Bible. In chapter 2, verse 24, it says that the two people, after being married and consummating the, their marriage, will become one flesh, right? And so he's hearkening your mind there. And then he says, I'm going to give them a portion of spirit. You know what that means? I don't know. I'm dead serious. I don't know. I ain't going to lie to y'all. I was looking it up. I was researching. I was looking at original languages. I don't know what God is saying in that passage, in that section. I give him a portion of the spirit. But then I do know what he's saying in the next part. He says, what were they looking for? Godly offspring. In fact, what's the first command in the whole Bible? Be fruitful and multiply. That's the first imperative command of the whole Bible. Godly offspring is the blessed fruit of a marriage covenant. But look at 2.15b, the second part of chapter 2, verse 15 in Malachi. It says, watch yourselves carefully so that no one acts treacherously against the wife of their youth. Read that section of the verse in context with verse 16, which says this. It says, if he hates and divorces his wife, says the Lord, the God of Israel, he covers his garment with injustice, says the Lord of armies. Therefore, watch yourselves carefully. God considers it treachery for one person to divorce the wife of their youth. Now, I know that some of you guys grew up with that passage in Malachi chapter 2, verse 16, saying, and you heard it quoted, God hates divorce, right? You, you heard that said. However, according to the syntax of the passage and the Masoretic vowel pointings that came later, it, 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 it seems that it probably indicates, and it's speaking more of the person who divorces their wife and how God feels about that person more so than God's own disposition against the act. Now, it doesn't mean that God is okay with divorce. He just says the one who does it, their, 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 their garments are filled with injustice, right? He just said that. That's clear. He doesn't like it. But I don't think that that passage is super clear in saying, and by the way, the book of Malachi is really hard to translate. 
from Hebrew to, to English. It's just really difficult to understand what the, the, the author is saying. And this passage in particular is one of the most difficult in all the text. But it seems because of the context that is saying that the person who divorces their wife has a garment full of injustice. It doesn't change God's position on it. And again, this is not an exhaustive teaching on divorce and remarriage. I might do a little video or something like that about that later, but God's position is clear on it. Jesus clears it up in Matthew 19, verses 4 through 8. He says, haven't you read, this is in your cross-reference sheet, that he who created them in the beginning made them male and female. And he also said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh, so they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. That's clear what God believes about marriage, right? Stay together, stay together. He, he desires that. But they, they were divorcing the wives of their youth. Now, let me, let's go back to the passage. Contextually, why is it that they are heaping injustice on their garments by divorcing the wife of their youth? Because contextually, when a man would divorce his wife there, he would leave his wife in abject poverty. Think about it. She's married to this man. Everything she has is, 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 is under and is consumed by this man's stature. Her protection is under this man. Her finances are under this man. Her, her food is under this man. And now this man says, I don't want you anymore. And many believe because of the history that they were divorcing their wives of their youth to marry them, them hot Moabite women's. And the, and the women's from Ashdod or wherever it was that these other foreign, these foreign, uh, foreign gods were there. They said, I'm going to divorce this wife because in order to get that wife, they said, well, you can't have two. Or they wanted their dowry from marrying into money. And they said, in order to get this dowry, my daughter has to be the only one. And so they would divorce the wife of their youth. But they would leave their wife in abject poverty. Think about it. She, virginity is, is, is seen as a, a major, uh, uh, um, um, what's the word? Uh, good. What's that word for good? It's not good. That's not, it's seen as a major, like, yes, approval. Come on, help me, people. Value. There you go. Virginity was, was a value. My man built. Yo. It was seen as valuable in their culture. Did she have that anymore? No. A man didn't want to marry a woman who already had some kids that nobody was taking care of. Did that woman have that going for her? Probably not, because in that culture, you have kids right away, right? And so now she's kicked to the curb, and she's in abject poverty. She's all by her lonesome, and God is like, nah, bro, you can't be divorcing the wife of your youth. Look what you're doing. You're treating one another with treachery, because that's my daughter that you did that to, says the Lord Almighty. See, it's all a symptom of their relationship with God. And here's the question I want you to go home thinking about this morning is what are the symptoms of your relationship with God now? The disposition of your life, the reason why you do what you do. Think about it. Try to do the hard work. Really recount backwards. Why do you do what you do? Why do you act the way you act? Why don't you believe this? certain things and do you believe certain things why do you uh, ascribe credit to the left or to the right what do you believe about God and how has that shaped you now your relationships 
are in large result of what you believe about God. And if you're deteriorated in your relationship with God, proof positive is going to come out in your relationship with others. A good exercise you can do is to ask your friends about you. Ask them, what do you think I value? Ask them, if you didn't know me, would you know that I'm a son or daughter of the king? Ask them, is there anything in my life that I compromise about, that I compromise my faith for? And let's see what are the, the reasons for the deterioration in your relationship between you and God. But we hold that intention with the promise that even though we were faithless, God remains faithful. Why? Because God cannot deny himself. Father, thank you for um, this passage in Malachi. And as, even as I'm thinking about it, I'm like, man, I should have split that up into three. There's so much in it, so much more. But I'm, I'm, I'm grateful for the little that you put in, in front of these people. And I pray that you somehow, some way would speak to the hearts and minds of the people who are here through this passage. I pray that you have slowed the thinking of some who desire to marry the daughters or sons of a foreign God. And I pray that you have strengthened the resolve of those who have already done so, that they would remain prayerful, strong and mighty in the Lord, praying for the salvation of their spouse. And I pray that you have strengthened the resolve to not separate one to another, but that you strengthen the desire of men and women to remain faithful to the husband or wife of their youth, and that in the midst of their unfaithfulness to each other, which is bound to happen, that they would fight for unity, that they would take a cue from the God of heaven and earth and not cast away because of sin, but that they would love through the medium of mercy. And that restoration would take place. Father, I pray that nothing said this morning was of my own accord. And I pray that every last word was used by you. We thank you, Lord, and we are glorified in Jesus' name. Amen.